today we're looking at the I am statement from John chapter 15. So if you'd open your Bibles with me to John chapter 15, chapter or verse 1, we'll read through verse 12 or verse 13. In your pew Bibles, it's page 901, so it's helpful to follow along. If you don't have your Bible with you, there's a blue one in front of you that you can use. John chapter 15. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. Jesus speaking to his disciples, saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends. You may be seated. Let's take a moment together to reflect on God's word. In the opening part of John chapter 15, it's helpful to know that Jesus is on the move. So if you just go back one verse, chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus is wrapping up his last statements in the upper room. And this last phrase, rise, let us go from here. So Jesus has left the upper room where he had the last supper And he's now with just 11 of his disciples. Judas has already gone on his um, errand. And they're they're walking. They're walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. So when you leave Jerusalem, you, you leave the city walls. And they're headed east towards the Garden of Gethsemane, which is in a small olive grove just outside the city. And maybe Jesus passed some sort of vineyard. Maybe some vine was growing on the wall, whatever the case, he decides to make that uh, uh, that scenery uh, his last I am statement. I am the vine. So he began it back in John chapter 6, I am the bread. John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. John chapter 8, I am the I am. John chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd. John chapter 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And with each one of these I am statements, Jesus is separating himself from everyone else in human history. He's trying to say to his disciples, he's trying to say to us, I am the true vine. He's he's reminding his disciples here in this 
last moment before they break this huddle. That, that they, don't, they don't need to get disconnected from Jesus. He's the true vine. If you get disconnected from him, then we can do nothing. You, you may be busy. People may be impressed. But if you're not connected to Jesus, you're connected to nothing. And so Jesus, here he is. The, the, the huddle is already beginning to crack. The, the bubble of his 11 disciples, one's already broken off. And he understands that, that in the darkness, it's very easy to get disconnected to Jesus. So he says it over and over again. You don't have to be a theologically trained to understand what's the main point of these verses. Uh, Jesus uses the word abide, or if you have another version like the NIV, it may be remain. And he uses that word 10 times in seven verses. Well, when Jesus uses a word 10 times in seven verses, pay attention. And so he's trying to get his disciples to, to pay attention. There's a sense of urgency in Jesus's voice as he's leaving the city, going to the garden of Gethsemane. Abide, remain, hold fast, let no trial turn you persevere, stand, continue, endure, trust, stay dependent on me. He says it ten times in this short little journey. The the main point here is for us to abide. And so I want to tackle this particular text this way. Why the urgency and the repetition to to abide? Secondly, so how do we abide? I mean, if that's the main point and he's telling us to abide, then then can we have some help in understanding how we abide? And then third, and we'll close with this, God's, uh, God, understanding God's role as the vine dresser. So, so why the urgency? How do we abide? And then God's role. First of all, why the urgency and repetition? Jesus understands something that you and I probably understand as well, is that when life goes dark, when some despair settles into your soul, when, when dreams are dashed, when you get disoriented, that's the very time it's very easy to get disconnected from Jesus. We talked about this last week at some length. Remember, Jesus is in the upper room, and he detonates these three explosions. He makes these three statements, and these, these explosions cause the disciples to get very discouraged, to get very disoriented. First of all, he says, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. Boom. They look around going, it's going to be one of us. I mean, we thought the enemies were outside. Now we're finding out one of the enemies is inside. And then he says, hey, I'm going to go to a place and you can't follow me anymore. I know I've been saying follow me for three years, but today you can't follow me. That was like an explosion for the disciples. And then he looks at Peter and says, Peter, I know you're the leader. I know you're the only one who got out of the boat and walked on water. But you're going to betray me. And this, these detonations cause 
discouragement and disruption in the lives of the disciples. And again, we talked about this, and this is why verse 14 or chapter 14 begins, do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus knows that when this darkness and this despair comes on any person, it's very easy to get disconnected. So he's trying to say over and over again, abide, abide, abide. Disciples, I know it's going to be dark, but don't allow the darkness to drive you away from me. And then as a point of emphasis, verse 5, apart from me, I know it's dark and maybe you can't see me right now. Maybe you're confused by what I'm doing. But if you choose to disconnect to me and try to connect to something or someone else, it's it's nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And in the Greek, if you read that in the Greek, you know what it says? Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what it says. It's not like, well, in the Greek, it leaves a little crack that, well, you can do some good things. No, if you get disconnected from Jesus, no matter what everybody else says or how impressed everybody else may be or how busy you are on your calendar, you're connected to nothing. And he's begging the disciples over and over, guys, don't get disconnected. I'm, I'm the true light. Don't unplug. I'm the light of the world. I'm the true vine that gives you life. And poor Peter, he got lost in the darkness, did he not? Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's arrested. He's taken to a trial. And Peter's outside trying to, in his bewilderment, trying to follow after Jesus, see what's going to happen. He's warming his hands by a fire, and a, probably a 12-year-old girl comes up to him and says, um, I think you were with Jesus. Yeah, I'm not. Peter, of all people, he unplugs from Jesus. He gets disoriented because there's darkness in his soul. And there may be someone here this morning that's on the verge of unplugging from Jesus. It can happen in all kinds of different ways. Thinking an easy time to... Unplug from Jesus is when you're in April of your senior year in high school. You just realize you're at least as smart as your parents. And maybe a little bit smarter. And you're tired of the, the, the home, church, Christian thing. You're, you're just over it. You're you're ready to spread your wings and you're ready to get to college and really plug into life. I had a 1980 red Mustang when I was in high school. Windows down, 38 special blaring on the radio, a little too fast. And I thought I was all that in a bag of chips. And I was ready to just unload all that other stuff that I had grown up with and finally plug into real life. And you know what I was about ready to plug into? Nothing. If you unplug from Jesus at any age of your life, 
and think you're plugging into the world that's really going to light up your soul, let me tell you right now, it's nothing. But an easy way to get discouraged is not just when you're a senior in high school. It could be if darkness comes in your own soul. You're in this place where Peter is. The world's turned upside down. All the things you thought were right, even about Jesus, don't turn out to seem to be going your way. You're in some difficult circumstance, and maybe in the darkness you think, well, the Jesus thing isn't working. So I'm going to unplug. And I'm going to find something, someone to plug into and hope that that's going to give me life. And I want you to hear Jesus say, abide, remain, hold fast, let no trial turn you, persevere, stand, continue, endure, trust, stay dependent on Jesus. Okay, so he wants us to abide. Then how do we abide? Okay, I want to abide. I don't know. I mean, I'm in dark times, or maybe I feel like I'm ready to unplug, but you're telling me I should. I want to, but how do I do that? And I think he gives us three things here. First, it's like a three-legged stool. So at the end, I want you to think, is one one of your legs a little shorter? One of your legs a little weaker? One of your legs missing? First, and, and I don't know if this is the most important. It seems pretty important. You have to digest and demonstrate God's word. You have to digest and demonstrate God's word. Verse 7, my words abide in you. You've got to digest them. You've got to read them. That's why we have a reading plan. You've got to, you've got to internalize the word of God. You've got to have it coming through the conduit of your eyes and in your mind and, and in your heart. Verse 10, and then if you keep my commands, you will abide. You've got to be di- digesting them. Then you've got to be following. You've got to have your, not perfectly, but you've got to be moving in the direction of God's commands. You might remember James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. But be doers. Do what it says. John, the, the gospel writer, a little, some years later, he writes a series of letters to the early church. And he says this in 1 John 2. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. Yeah. I mean, when I read that, I'm like, yeah. How are you strong? I mean, I want to be a young man again, and I want to be strong. So I'm, I'm leaning in. I mean, how are young men strong? I'm, I've got, I'm all ears. Is, is it what you drive? You have a muscle car? Do you have a muscle body? Do you have a muscle career? Do you have muscle money? Is that what makes you strong? Uh, no. You are strong because the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome evil. That's strength. It doesn't matter about your muscle car or your muscle body or your muscle career or your muscle money. A really strong young man knows God's word, defeats evil in his own life. That's real power. So you have to digest the word of God and you've got to demonstrate the word of God. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, he quoted the word of God. When Jesus preached his first sermon, he read from God's word. When John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Jesus quoted God's word. 
When Jesus was arguing with the Pharisees, he quotes God's word. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, he quotes God's word. When he gets questioned by the disciples on the road to Emmaus, are you really Jesus? He quotes God's word. He's quoting God's word. If Jesus is digesting and demonstrating God's word, how much more for you and I? Every step of his life, the way he stays plugged into God the Father is the same way we stay plugged in. We're, we're digesting, we're demonstrating God's word. So if you don't have some kind of regular intake of God's word, just start here. It's one chapter every day. And then we have a, a, a card out there. Some of you may have picked it up. Psalm 19. Talking about the value of God's word. Parents, you might want to just put this on your refrigerator and help your kids memorize this piece of scripture about the value of God's word. Take one home. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it in your car. Digest. Demonstrate God's word. I love the Protestant reformer Martin Luther because he's got so many sharp edges. He's this person who got dumped into the, to 1517 and he was this sort of burly uh, not, not, not a good governor on what he said kind of guy. But he was sort of the, the dynamite God used to start the Protestant Revolution. And here's one of my favorite quotes by him. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. Think about this man who stood in the council. And he's the one who started this Protestant Reformation that we're all in now today. He's saying, I did nothing. This is the part I like. Then, while I slept or drank beer with my friends, (laughs) the Word did all the damage. I did nothing. The Word did it all. You've got to, if you're going to abide, you've got to be digesting and then demonstrating God's Word. Number two, you have to have the Holy Spirit. Now, now this is a sermon series, so I'm just going to try to reduce it down to one statement. John chapter 14, look back with me in one chapter. He actually talks about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. Then he's the vine in chapter 15. talks about the Holy Spirit again in chapter 16. But if you go back to chapter 14, verse 25... These things I have spoken to you, this is Jesus in the upper room, and I'm still with you, but the helper or the counselor or the advocate, meaning the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And he's going to bring to your remembrance all what? All that I have said to you. What's the main role of the Holy Spirit? To remind you of God's word. Everything's driving back to God's word. Even the Holy Spirit, his counsel pushes you back to God's word. He's bringing God's word to mind as you navigate dark times. So the words of Jesus illuminated by the the Holy Spirit, that's how you are enabled to abide. One last leg of the stool, all critical. You got the Word of God, you got the Holy Spirit who's reminding you of the Word of God. And then, chapter 15, verse 12, we have to love each other. It's not just you reading your Bible, as important as that is. It's not the Holy Spirit reminding you of the things of the Bible. It is my commandment, verse 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
listen. You are not going to make it on your own. That's not an option. Men, you're not going to make it on your own. I don't care if your dad told you that or modeled that. I don't care if the world tells you that. You men are not going to make it on your own. Women are so much better at this than men. You're not going to make it on your own. You have to have some kind of loving community around you. Abiding was designed to be a community project. And so people here this morning are not okay. And that's okay. But what's not okay is to pretend that you are okay. I had somebody not too long ago come to me and say, well, I, I don't fit in at Christ Community Church because I got all these problems. I was like, oh my gosh. I got all the problems you just mentioned. And I know all these problems out here. But do you see what happens? We get in a space where you got to come in and say, I'm okay, even when you're not okay. But it's not okay to pretend because you're hurting yourself. You're hurting other people from allowing them to hear your story, allowing them to come alongside of you. Many of us know about the death of Hunter Cooper, a young man that took his lone life, age 21. And, you know, you just can't quite process it. His oldest brother, Will, wrote a post. Part of it says this, Scripture never promises life without pain, suffering, or hard decisions. So I lean on Jesus' teaching. Love one another. People are going to experience pain, so love them well. They're going to suffer, so love them well. Do what you can to ease the suffering and share it with them. Walk with the people around you when they face hard decisions, or I might say dark times. You have to have one another walking alongside because you're not going to be able to abide. Somebody's going to basically hold your hands and put your hands around it. I'm not really good at, as a mechanic. That's not news to anybody who's been here for a long time. And I'm trying to install some speakers in my car. This is really a bad idea for me. This is a faith-losing exercise for me. So Zachary at three wanted to help. I'm like, oh, gosh. You know, when they want to help and it's twice as long with their help than without... And so I'm like, okay. And finally, I'm not figuring it out. And he's, whatever I'm doing, he's messing it up. So I blow up. I'm like, get out of the car, you know, real kind, using all my gifts of compassion. And um, you can't do anything. That's what I said. And he said, but you could have put your hands on mine, and I could have done it. Oh, you know, like, oh, gosh. See, that's what, that's what we're asking you to do. If I can't do it, what I need you to do is to put your hands on my hands and help me do it until I can do it. You're not going to be able to make it on your own. It's not possible. So you have to love one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, such a great quote. The Christian needs another Christian 
listen, who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again. However, the advice I often hear most comes from life and experience. They are put forward as the basis for the most crucial decisions, but the argument for, from Scripture is missing. Now, this is the key phrase, key sentence. He who can speak out of the abundance of God's word, the wealth of directions, admonitions, consolations of the Scripture, he will be able, through God's word, to drive out demons and help a brother. Do you see, when you get in darkness, you don't just need friends. You need friends who can tell you God's word. You've got to have somebody who understands this so that when you're confused, they're not telling you, well, I thought this. I don't need what you thought. I need what God tells me. That's what I need. And so you've got to have people who understand God's word in your life, and you are going to use them according to Dietrich Bonhoeffer and my own life experience again and again. You're going to need them over and over again. So how do you abide? You have God's word. You digest it. You demonstrate it. You have the Holy Spirit who drives you back to God's word. You have friends who speak into your life. And what do they speak? The truth of God's word. How's your stool look? See, just one weak leg and you can fall over. Finally, let's understand God's role here. He's the vine dresser. You see that in verse 2. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he, the father, the vine dresser, he takes away every branch that does not bear fruit. And the branches that do bear fruit, he prunes that you would bear more fruit. First of two activities God does as the vine dresser is he, he, takes, he knows branches that don't bear fruit. He takes them away. Let's be clear, fruit is a demonstration of being in the vine. It's not a condition of being in the vine. Let me, let me make sure you've got that clear. Fruit is a demonstration that you're connected to the vine. It's not a condition to get into the vine. Does that make sense? You don't go out there and do all these things hoping you get connected to the vine. No, you get connected to the vine and as a, as, as a demonstration of being connected to the vine, then I, I live out this way. It's what Jesus says. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. You prove to be connected because you're demonstrating what God has said. And God knows if you're not bearing fruit. So I think the easiest way we can say this is if you're not bearing fruit then you might not be in the vine. How do you know if somebody's a Christian? Well, the, the best way we can tell is you're bearing fruit. And if I can't see any fruit, I can't say, I'm not the person who gets to say, but I would want to check if you're really connected to the vine. And you can fool me very easily. You might be able to fool yourself pretty easily. You might come up front and I go, well, I think they're really plugged in. But you're never going to fool God. 
He knows if you bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, something that is given to other people for their nourishment, then you might not be connected to the vine. So please don't pretend. Because you can fool me, you can fool your friends, and you can fool yourself, but you can't fool God. He knows, and he's coming to, to prune. Those who don't bear fruit, he takes them away. Second activity, well, what about those vines that are genuinely connected, and they're bearing fruit? Every branch, he talks about this. Every branch that does bear fruit, he, what does he do? He gives them a trophy. That's what I would want him to say. I'm bearing fruit. So you get a trophy. You get prosperity. You get no problems. I'd have a lot of things I'd love for that verse to say. But none of them are there. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He prunes away fruit. Just let that sink in for a moment. You have a genuinely good and godly activity going on in your life, and God may prune it back. And when he does, disorientation comes into your life. And you have to trust that with that pruning, there's more fruit to come. That I can't see right now, but I'm just trusting God, there's a, you're closing this off, and it seems like it's doing some good things, but there's something more that you want to have done. So when you get into these places where Jesus seems to be upside down to you, and you will if you're following Christ, you'll get in that spot. Oh, I thought it was going to be like this, and now it's totally upside down. He may be pruning in some way to bear some kind of fruit that you may see in your lifetime. You may have to wait until glory. But when you get disoriented, when you get discouraged, when you get in despair, where do you go for real long-lasting hope? You go to the cross. Why? He was doing so many good things here. But he got cut off. So you and I could be fruit. See, if that doesn't happen, we don't come out. So he himself says, I'll be pruned back so that I can bear much fruit. And what does he do? He lays down his life for his friends. Abide, remain, hold fast, let nothing move you. Trust, don't take your eyes off Jesus. Digest his word. Pray for the Holy Spirit to bring his word to bear in your life. Have friends that tell you about God's word. And trust that even in the the darkest times, he he is going to hold you fast. Let's pray together. Lord, as we are reminded by coming to this table this morning, that your disciples wasn't a good moment for them. They denied you, they betrayed you, they scattered away from you, but yet you are saying to them, hold on, hold on, 
And even when they don't hold on, you say, I'm going to hold on to you. That's the gospel. And so I pray, Lord, for my friends here who know and trust you. They may be in a place of darkness or disorientation or despair. I pray that this would, would be a reminder of abiding in you and you in them. For, for those who have not yet made a commitment to Christ, may they take time and not come to this table, but just sit and ask themselves, what have they plugged themselves into that they hope is going to give them life? And hear very clearly from your word, it's nothing apart from Jesus. Lord, we know that on the night you were betrayed, you looked at your disciples and you took the cup and you said, this is the blood of a new covenant that I'm giving. It's my blood and it's my body that is going to be broken for you. Come, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Would you give grace to your people as they come forward today? In Jesus' name, amen.